Though touted as perhaps the best in the world, the American medical system is filled with hypocrisies. Our healthcare is staggeringly expensive, yet one in six Americans has no health insurance. We have some of the, the most skilled physicians in the world, yet 100,000 patients die each year for medical errors. Going beyond sick care requires informed and empowered patients. This is achievable through price transparency and unbiased quality care that meets both public and private health insurance regulations. This podcast aims to explore the intricacies of quality patient care through thought-provoking conversations with providers, healthcare executives, corporate CEOs, technologists, and patients. We'll also seek to provide you with simplified actionable paths to feeling good and living well. Welcome to the Empowered Patient Podcast. So there is, so this episode is on food as medicine, and we have two experts that are going to be walking up to what to eat and ensure, ensuring that the things that we eat really makes, makes us feel better or feel worse. Um, and today on the call is Sean um, Chavez. I make sure that I'm not, I'm not butchering her name. She's the founder of, um, of Living Book. Um, and she'll be telling us what that is about. And then we have Tambora Ray. She's also the founder of Wanda. Um, and there's a meaning behind what Wanda is. I'll let her get into it. So welcome, welcome to the show, um, ladies. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Same here. So without further ado, can you guys tell us a little bit about what you do um, in your day-to-day? Your background. Do you want to start, Tambra? He started with you. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, so I am. Um, I'm an entrepreneur. Uh, my company is called Living Book, um, and my background is uh, I, I came from journalism, and the last nine years of my journalism career, I specialized in uh, food and health. I was a diet editor at Health Magazine. And then I uh, moved over to Time Inc.'s cookbook publishing division, and I was a development editor, and I specialized in healthy cookbooks. Um, And so I left Time Inc. in 2014. Uh, I did some other uh, startup types of things, worked in some startup environments, uh, and I started Living Book uh, two years ago. um, And we basically offer customizable cookbooks for chronic conditions. Excellent. Excellent. Thanks for sharing that. That's awesome. Um, Hi, everyone. I'm Tambra Ray Stevenson. I am the founder um, and CEO of Wanda, which began in 2016, uh, incorporated in DC and Abuja, Nigeria. Um, The vision and mission really stem from one, my daughter Ruby having Um, a cavity going to her um, teacher who was a black woman and mother um, and not creating um, the connection between health and academics um, and food. So that really sparked an interest of realizing that no matter how much food policy I may work on, that if we're not creating the change at the hyper-local level in our communities, uh, which is touching the lives of Black women, activating them to become these food heroes that our community needs um, in our homes, in our communities, in our churches, um, or places of worship, that it's really um, 
a disconnect uh, in order to um, be part of uh, the mission and vision uh, of healthy communities. So WANDA is an acronym for Women Advancing Nutrition, Dietetics, and Agriculture. It also came from just um, being the only African-American in my nutrition program um, back in Oklahoma as well, and, and making that connection around um, creating safe, supportive sisterhood spaces uh, digitally as well as physically around seeing uh, sisterhood being a form of self-care, um, that our existence is our resistance, and also that it is um, part of being of service. Um, you know, what I've learned from just sorority life. And so for me was making that connection within food, that it's more than just a meal, it's a form of identity, it's a form of culture, it's what brings communities together. Um, and for us in many ways and how we've seen the kitchen in, in a real estate market um, as just a commodity and really reclaiming that space as a sacred space and a space of healing um, that we use and, and re reclaim um, in a more meaningful way uh, as a form of uh, being the change we want to see. So in the creation of now our Wanda Academy, that is really anchoring um, and making that more tangible of what that can mean and look like when we have more intentionality and really decolonize um, nutrition, education, um, and have the same passion around it as we have around healthy food access. Um, because as I've seen that no matter how much advocacy of SNAP and TANF benefits that we see, that if people are not able to spend wisely their money, you can still lead to poor health outcomes. Um, and so really the big motivation behind this for me is that we have less than 3% um, dietitians of African descent, um, that that is very intentional um, and that we have to become change agents around not only in our communities, but the profession of ensuring that there is other forms of education of nutrition and it is not enough to be educated by the system, which is problematic and fragmented and intentional but also creating alternative educational spaces that embraces our culture, our intersectionality, and that you will not find in the traditional nutrition program. So it really does fold into serving two purposes of one hand being, seen, being able to see the change that we want to see as food heroes, but also change the way in which we're learning the content that centers our lived experiences and our ancestral knowledge that is healing and affirming that we're not even receiving from the traditional nutrition model as we see it today. So a very packed conversation today, really. So when we think of food, from the, what you both just mentioned and share on your various mission, food should be about all sharing an experience, an experience amongst those that we love and the food that we're consuming. So it's not just the food itself, the food brings us all together. Communal, right? Hyper-localized communal experience. Um, that's emphasized not only from 
um, African descent roots, um, being that I'm from Sierra Leone. So food was always about an experience for us with, it was a cherished memory from my parents, uh, my mom, who was more the example of cooking healthy. Um, we grew up around um, more seafood, right? My parents would cook a lot of fish because it was fresh. Um, we didn't have a refrigerator system back back there in um, in Sierra Leone. Um, for most households, they don't now. Some households do, and we will go out to the market, um, fish, um, get get produce, healthy produce, get healthy um, um, food, right? Um, and then we'll come. My parents, my parents will come and, and cook, but everybody then eat ate together as a uh, more of a, uh, an experience. So what do you guys think? I mean, Sean, Sean, I will start with you. Creating a living book, right, to tackle chronic disease. Um, with that lived experience, how do you ensure that people are getting back to the root of commuting, um, commuting and eating together, um, but preparing healthy meals together? Because we clearly, um, back in the South, and I'm sure if you go back in the South, it's more Southern comfort food. How do we move away from Southern comfort food to healthy food? Sure. Um, well, I'd like to start with just that is um, the, the, a lot of people believe that Southern food isn't healthy, um, but I would argue that Southern commercialized food is, isn't healthy. Um, mm -hmm. So if you go to Popeye's or Kentucky Fried Chicken or, you know, those are things that, um, where they've taken foods that were once considered celebratory and made them, you know, commercialized them um, and made them available, you know, 18, 24 hours a day, you know? Um, and so um, when you look at the roots of Southern food, it's really a combination of all of the African foods and traditions that came to the United States the things that Europeans brought, the things that Native Americans were already doing, and um, Mexican Americans. Um, so it's really kind of um, it's a it's a Southern cuisine is a cuisine born out of all of these traditions. Um, and when you look at before, um, I would say what I would call traditional Southern food. So before commercialization, there were a lot of vegetables involved in Southern cooking. So for example, my father grew up on a farm in North Carolina. His, his parents, um, and so they grew all of their own food. And so, um, I mean, they grew all kinds of, you know, vegetables, fruits. My grandmother put up prunes and peaches and, apples and um you know they made their own peanut butter <laughs> they made their own molasses um they and i mean they, black eyed peas squashes all greens all kinds of things that were part of the southern food um you know uh, southern food lexicon um and so um you know, I think that there's a misconception that Southern food isn't healthy. When you look at individual ingredients, uh, pecans have more antioxidants than any other nut. Corn has more antioxidants than any other grain. Um, you know, collard greens are in, and other types of greens are incredibly healthy for you, as are sweet potatoes. Um, so I think that there's a lot of healthfulness in Southern food um, and that the commercialization of Southern food is what uh, 
causes us to associate it with unhealthfulness, as it should be. I mean, you can't have fried chicken and, you know, biscuits every day <laughs> and, and have a healthy diet, um, you know. So, um, but as far as like what you were talking about in your family traditions around food um, and, um, and how to translate that into healthy eating, I think that our dietary guidelines in the United States are very prescriptive, right? It's all about you know, eat, you know, three pieces of fruit a day and eat five or more vegetables a day and eat, you know, so many ounces of protein and so forth. And it is prescriptive to the point that it omits um, the culture around food and how that impacts healthfulness too. Um, so as, an, as a counterpoint to the way that the United States approaches healthy eating, in Brazil, their, their dietary guidelines are completely different. It's not prescriptive at all. Like you won't see eat this many pieces of fruit a day in their dietary guidelines. And this is their, their official dietary guidelines are about um, eating with other people. It's about, you know, cook with other people, eat with other people. And that's their framework for healthy eating. And so I think there's a lot that we can learn from that. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing that we're trying to create with the cookbooks that we offer. Um, when you're diagnosed with a chronic disease, you get typically seven times out of 10, you get either verbal advice from your doctor or you get a list of food, right? Mm -hmm. um, I was just calling off a list of food. A friend of mine uh, was, was just went through cancer treatment and he was put on a diet and it was like really bland. It was like uh, breakfast was like a half a cup of orange juice, a banana, a half a cup of cereal, you know, I mean, it was just like really, you know, and dinner was like, you know, six ounces of broiled fish and two stalks of broccoli. And it's just like, there's no flavor. <laughs> the flavor lover in me is dying for him. I felt so bad for him. Um, and it's uh, number one. So number one, it, it like the dietary advice that people get now isn't tied to any culture. So it doesn't reflect your culture. Um, and so it doesn't inspire you to want to eat healthy food. And that's part of healthy eating is being able to enjoy it. And number one, the advice that you get is just for the patient. And it doesn't look at the fact that that person is living in a home with other people and has other people eating too. And um, how do you incorporate that? And so um, that's one of the things that we're doing with Living Book is taking those guidelines that you get from your doctor and making it into food that ties to your culture, um, you know, turning it into recipes so you don't have to figure out that list that you get. It's really overwhelming. So we take that and put it into recipes that you can use for yourself that um, can reflect your culture. You can choose ones that reflect you know, the food that you love. And number two, that it's food that you can share with your family. Um, and one of the things that we do is personalize the cookbook. So if you are diabetic and you go out to the, you know, drugstore or a bookstore, you'll see, and you go to the cookbook aisle and you're looking for cookbooks for, di you know, diabetic uh, diets, it will have the word diabetes on the cover, most likely. And um, for some people, that's a trigger. It feels like a negative, you know, it brings up all of the negative associations they have with that disease. Um, sometimes it's internalized guilt or shame. And then if you take that cookbook home, your family doesn't want to join you in that. They don't, you know, they don't have diabetes. They already have a stigma associated with, you know, that disease and they will take that into the food and think that it's not gonna taste good. And then so that creates an isolation. 
Um, and the fact is that, um, you know, if we can then have a book that has your name on it and removes those triggers, those negative associations, and if you can get your entire family to eat with you, um, then um, that's a much better setup for healthy eating. Mm -hmm. that, that makes sense. Um, Tambra, anything that you would like to add around, I think you had mentioned the purposeful wonder is, is to ensure that sisterhood is at the forefront of creating she heroes, um, food she heroes that are advancing nutrition and healthy eating. The question posed earlier was really around how do we ensure that we have a community, right? That that we hyper-localize um, healthy eating by bringing others together in, in a round table. I was sharing my personal experience of my uh, mother and my, my siblings, how we share a, a unique eating pattern. It's always around the, around the table, right? And going out to the market and getting fresh produce and fresh um, seafood as a way to cook. So my diet is still reflective of that. I, I am a pescatarian, and so I really, I have been for the last seven years, so I don't eat chicken or meat. Um, it's about um, having those um, salmon that have a healthy dose of omega-3 fatty acid. Um, I still share meal with friends when I eat. So in your case, uh, with Wanda, is, is, it, is the mission very similar with more hyper-localized around people sharing a meal together? Um, community is medicine. So we, through the power of sisterhood, that is what it's about embracing. Um, what's missing in nutrition um, and why I went to school for public health is that nutrition was built out of a biomedical model. Um, in essence, during the times of war, the doctors needed, you know, feeding patients who are coming out of surgery uh, or even prepping. And so with that said, we're seeing the residual effects of that model, you know, persistent, which many now who are pursuing public health understand that there are social determinants of nutrition. Um, so that, you know, is everything from the healthy food access to what equipment you have, if you even have a kitchen, um, down to the family that influences you and your decision making, um, and, and even your religion. All these are factors that determine um, healthy eating outcomes. So for us, taking in that knowledge was really important, wrapped in culture, wrapped in intersectionality. For, for me, it was about recognizing where were the gaps in the system, you know, yep. as it pertains to the field of nutrition and dietetics and, you know, recognizing in all of that, um, it boiled down to um, a sense of belonging and, and the individuality that's taught through uh, the Western ideology um, is a disservice to the culture and food for the culture. And so for us, food is not um, simply an isolation just on your plate, but also the place um, and the people. Um, they all are the 
ingredients uh, to this work that we do. And, and for us, because of intersectionality is such an important piece to this, um, I've recognized that uh, that has to be, you know, a key ingredient for Wanda and, and the formulation around that for Wanda. And I also just recognize that because of this, again, biomedical model of seeing everything by body parts versus the sum total um, was also a problem. Uh, that's how the field of nutrition was created on the back of, of uh, allopathic medicine. And, and so it's about together, not only just having the sisterhood, the people, but also the content, the consciousness, uh, that's all a part of the culture. Um, and I say this because in the, in the midst of everyone wanting to speak of cultural competency, um, those are just lip service. Um, the focus of diversity, equity, inclusion, again, more lip service. There's no implicit bias training uh, that can really address these deep-seated traumatic um, colonial tactics that have been used. And it can be seen and found in the food and in, in the program implementation and the evaluation. Um, and so decolonizing is really at the heart of what we do. And, and that means when we talk about sisterhood, um, it really is about maintaining agency. Uh, of saving ourselves by reclaiming our foodways, restoring our health and returning to our roots. Um, that cannot um, simply be taught through a cultural competent uh, dietitian. Um, and they've had more than a hundred years to figure that out. And you see where we are. We still have disease in the communities uh, from diabetes to cancer. Uh, and so now it's time to shift and try a new model um, where we're centered in our own healing process um, and maybe we'll achieve better outcomes. So that is what we believe in saving our own selves by creating our own systems to do so. And that's sisterhood as a secret ingredient to that. Yeah, talk, so let, 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 let's discuss um, on, on an individual level. I think currently you both are teaching really the fundamentals of ways for us to consume healthy meals as a way to treat certain disease, whether that is hypertension, diabetes, certain chronic disease, right? So um, you recently launched a platform, um, Native Soul, where we where you're discussing on an individual level, a person who just wakes up in the morning, has a family of five, or maybe just a single person, wants to find out, how do I even begin on this healthy journey, right, to eat healthy? Are there places to begin? Um, fresh produce places to, to go and buy fresh produce? Where, where do a, a person who wants to transform their lives, they, they may have they may be just recently diagnosed with diabetes, right? But they want to start eating healthy to reverse the disease. Where do they begin? There has to be 
you know, in health behavior, we talk about perceived susceptibility, um, which is crucial. You have to see that there's a risk um, to your life, your livelihood, your loved ones, um, and have intentionality and a desire to change. Otherwise, if you don't have the mindset, um, you, you fall flat. I mean, and so with that um, intention, then that gives you desire and a willingness to persevere even when you don't find, um, you know, all the resources that you need. Um, but those resources, you know, can come from, you know, organizations like Native, so like Wanda, as well as those who are already out there, you know, the foot soldiers um, of other um dietitians and nutritionists who are doing the work um, and those who are just um, maybe not even have those credentials that can also be of service as well is real um, because there's just not that many of us. So um, it starts with, you know, how you, um, you know, find, find the people to help you, uh, finding the books, the resources um, to supplement that knowledge um, be willing and open to, you know, take a course to learn more of what you haven't, um, such as the Wanda Academy that we're uh, doing right now for those who are on Medicaid um, in uh, communities like Ward 7 and 8 in D.C. that are heavily impacted by chronic disease and COVID. Um, and then also um, looking at your own kitchen and what can you change? You know, I always say when you open up your cover, I can see what disease is. Um, it's like, you know, opening up your soul. So when we do, um, you know, programming, whether that's faith oriented or not, it really is also assessing like, what are your priorities? Where are your values? And how does food become reflected in that? So it's, um, you know, if one wanted to change one thing, I would say, you know, start with what you drink, you know, how much soda, coffee, tea, juice, whatever, can you just start getting rid of that and start drinking more water, squeezing lemon, squeezing citrus, you know, getting your source of vitamin C? Um, can you like stop drinking alcohol? I mean, that's revolutionary and controversial for some people, but it has a lot of kcal per gram. Can you stop doing things that, you know, involve self-medicating that creates poor health outcomes like smoking? Um, you know, we have to get to the root of how we deal with trauma in our communities. Um, and that's why I said we have to start with intention because it's not just what you eat. It's also the other things that you consume in your bodies that out, that counteract the, the health um, of even the little bit of nutritious foods that you do eat. They all operate in the sum total um, of everything. Um, and that's why that larger conversation is crucial to be had about, it's not just, are you eating enough broccoli? Well, if you're eating all the broccoli, um, dark green leafy vegetables, but then you're also like binging over the weekends, um, that's problematic, whether that's soda or alcohol. Um, so a complete assessment of your lifestyle because it is a lifestyle change, not just a diet. Um, because again, it's, being holistic with the approach and not taking the biomedical approach of just being very myopic in how you execute in changing the conditions um, in which you are living in. But the sum total again. I, I totally, 
yeah, I totally agree with what she said. And I think that what we're offering through Living Book is the practical side of it. Um, Living Book was inspired in part by an experience of a friend of mine. She had symptoms for years that doctors really couldn't diagnose. And finally, a specialist um, diagnosed her with a rare autoimmune disorder and told her that she needed to change the way she eats in order to manage the condition. And so the doctor gave her this really long list of food. It looked like it was like copied 30 times over. It was fuzzy and it just, you know, it was just this list. And the foods that, there were foods that she couldn't eat anymore. And it was very random. Like it wasn't all low fat food or all low carb food. And she was overwhelmed by the list. And she literally called me crying, going, Sean, you've got to help me. I don't want to eat. And I mean, from her point of view, she'd had these symptoms for years and, you know, felt foggy and just didn't didn't feel well. And she was desperate to start feeling well immediately and to give her this list and say, OK, come back in three months. No. OK, how does she take this list and make dinner, you know, or how does she take this list? And, you know, she's a very social person. How do you take this list and figure out what to eat when she goes out, you know, um, was very overwhelming. And um, as I started to do the research to prepare for a living book, I talked to a lot of other people who um, had been recently diagnosed with a condition that required they change the way they eat. And seven out of 10 got a list of foods and it's not actionable. So I think that when you kick somebody off on um, a healthcare change that they need to make, um, but in a way that's overwhelming, it doesn't set them up for success. Um, and so what we're trying to do is set people up for success um, to give people um, recipes um, that, you know, hey, I can go make this tonight. You know, like if my friend Lisa had a cookbook, you know, instead of a long list of food, she would have known what she could have eaten tonight. She could have like picked something. Hey, that looks great. I'll go shopping tonight, whatever. Um, and have somebody ha ha give people a positive way to approach their um, their lifestyle change um, and to give people control and agency over it. Um, and some of the other things that factor in are, again, um, you know, helping people consider their families um, and the traditions that they come from. So one of the people that I talked with in the in the process of creating Living Book was a dietitian who had a PhD. And for her dissertation, she studied diabetic Latinas. And she found that many of them were cooking two meals a night. They would cook the meal that their dietitian or doctor, that was based on the advice that their dietitian or doctor had given them, which was usually Eurocentric. And so it didn't reflect their culture. And then they would prepare a meal for the rest of the family that did reflect their culture. So can you imagine, like, here you are, you're cooking for your family food that you really love, but you can't eat it. And then when you sit down at the table, everybody else is enjoying their food and you're just eating in a very clinical way, clinical and prescriptive way for your health and you're not enjoying it. And you're even feeling resentment um, and other negative feelings because everybody else is enjoying the food you wish you could enjoy and you had to make it, you know, like that's, um, that's creating negative associations. That's not going to help somebody sustain a lifestyle change. Um, 
So I think it's number one, very important to consider like have advice that's actionable for that patient. Um, so that way they can go home and, you know, start eating. We know that if people eat food that's similar to what they're already familiar with, um, that they're more likely to stick to a lifestyle change. Um, so, um, you know, for example, if, you know, you love collard greens, you might want to take a look at that collard green recipe, you know, still eat collard greens. So you have that something that's familiar to you but to, you know, just modify it so it's healthier. Um, and then, um, again, if you can eat with your families, that will help you stick to lifestyle change. The people that, where their families support and adopt some of the ways that that person needs to eat for their own health are the people who are more successful. And in fact, it's actually good for your family to learn, um, especially if there's diseases that are, that have genetic uh, ties, um, why not go ahead and be proactive and teach your kids how to eat healthfully so that way they're already being proactive about their health and they have the tools and, and habits for their own health. Um, and then the third thing I would say is, um, so eating things that you're familiar with you, eating with your family, um, and eating, uh, you know, foods from your tradition, um, which is, is not a good setup in the United States. Um, 80% of registered dietitians in the United States are white American. And so a lot of the advice that they're giving comes from a Eurocentric tradition. But in the United States now, um, we're quickly becoming um, a, 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 a more diverse country with people from all different backgrounds. And so when they don't see their traditions reflected in that advice, um, again, it's there's almost this subliminal message that your food isn't healthy. I mean, think about that diabetic Latina mom. She's got this message from her dietitian that your food isn't healthy, so you have to eat this food that's not your tradition. Um, and I, I think that that is the wrong message, number one, because it separates that person from their identity. Um, food is a part of our cultural identity. Um, and number two, it's not true. Um, there are plenty of studies that show that traditional cuisines, um, Latin American cuisines, traditional African cuisines are, in fact, uh, healthy for um, insulin, you know, help to control insulin resistance and blood sugar um, are anti-inflammatory. So those things need to be a part of how we um, help people eat for better health. Exactly. Um, I just want to give an amen. And I, <laughs> sure, sure. And, and Mohammed, I would say, like, even in my own life and my family, um, so I, you know, I've struggled with health most of my life. Um, and I live with a woman who, she's 80, and she has chronic, uh, she has uh, chronic kidney disease, and she has congestive heart failure. So she's on a very low sodium diet. And she loves Asian food. So this is a problem because when you think about soy sauce or fish sauce, they are very high in sodium. Um, so like, how do we, you know, and I, I have a culinary degree. Um, my my, um, my auntie's niece, nephew is also has a culinary degree. So, um, and as a professional chef. So we felt like, okay, you're set up, if you have to have a restricted diet, you're set up really well because you have two trained chefs living with you. And so we really kind of took a look at 
what could we do to help her enjoy the flavors that she likes, but, um, you know, but still maintain the health, the health needs that she has. And so, for example, one thing that we found was um, chili crisp. Have you heard of chili crisp? It's this delicious sauce that's, um, it's like chilies and shallots and spices all blended together. And it's really delicious. It's got a little sweetness. It's got, you know, some spiciness, some crunch, um, but it's very low sodium. Um, so, you know, should we put a spoonful of that with her dumplings instead of like a soy sauce or fish sauce based um, condiment? You know, so she's really enjoying, it's pretty, it's a bright color, it's flavorful, um, and it doesn't have the sodium that other sauces have. Um, another thing that I've done in my household is I've slowly, um, sometimes you need to make changes slowly and not um, not try to like have an overnight change. Like you just need to do things step by step. Um, so one of the things that we've done is I've, I'm very proud of, we're completely 100% whole grain in this house. Um, and so, you know, it started with, you know, wheat bread instead of white bread. Um, and then I found some really delicious whole corn tortillas um, that there's a lady uh, in Kansas, I believe, that makes these whole corn tortillas from uh, they're like her grandmother was from Mexico and it's a traditional recipe and she grinds the corn using traditional methods. And so you're getting the whole grain in these really delicious tortillas that have this great corn flavor, you know, and so looking for things like that makes it really easy easier to switch your diet another amen and and i would just want to chime in and say other practical tips that you know we do and i want to co-sign switching over from a refined grain to a whole grain diet and for us the basic way to say it is if it ain't white if it's white it ain't right if it's brown let it stick around Mm -hmm. so that means you know right Brown, brown rice, uh, black, pink, red rice, no white rice, because it means that it's been, it's not just, um, you know, when we say in making jollof or whatever, basmati, you know, parboiled rice is typically used. And there's three layers in the anatomy of a whole grain, the bran, the German, and the endosperm. And what's left is the endosperm. That's where the carbohydrate is. And so for the other two layers, the fiber, the vitamin, minerals have been removed. So Yes, in many ways, it's been painted on when we, uh, you know, hear um, about, you know, they've added it, added those vitamin minerals back, but it's just like frankenfood. Like, how do you, it's like imagine yourself having surgery um, and are you really fully whole and complete even when you're healed? Like, no, but that's what they've done when they're with the processed rice. Um, and, you know, the other part, you know, back to just basic home economics, uh, which needs to come back. You know, if I'm serving, like I'm making sure that there's going to be a whole grain and a green vegetable on the plate at minimum. Um, and, and because we have a low fiber movement in America, a lot of people are concentrated. People don't like having that discussion, but with urine GI and had have early rounds when I was studying nutrition and being in the hospitals like looking at your poop that that's a clear sign what's the state of your health and if anyone wants to learn just google you know what it means to have different colorations of poop the weight the color all that matters like 
before you even get to it's like the light engine coming on in your car before you even go to the repair shop you will already know you got a problem just by looking in the toilet so fiber and water are crucial to people's health um, it's like a dustpan and a mop like you need a broom to sweep it out and you need a dustpan to scoop it up and so if you don't have those two things you're already hitting on low cylinders um, and the piece about the diabetic Latinas that she mentioned, I just want to say about food colonialism, you know, part of colonial tactics that are bled throughout every system, including food, is what I call the four E's, the use of extraction, exploitation, erasure, um, and I'm forgetting the last. <laughs> um, but the point of it is that those are very intentional tactics, whether it's baked into unconsciousness and it's set on autopilot because of the DNA of their ancestors are flowing through them as just as ours are, you know, of our, you know, ours of resistance, reclamation, and, and uh, a need to resist um, is within us. And, and that constant battle is always um, happening. And we're seeing that fight in the concept of our plates, you know, which culture war wins in this game of food. Um, and, and it's important because the minority is the new majority. That's why we're seeing all these attacks happening on black and brown communities. It's a, it's a goal to try to resist and, and reduce the, the numbers because numbers represent political economic power. And if we start shifting our food dollars to our cultural foods, that means we not only can support our own communities, build up them uh, viably, uh, from a local food economy perspective, but also you reinforce this identity that your life matters because your food matters. And that's why I'm saying these are things not taught in traditional nutrition dietetic education, which is crucial of hitting home why intuitively people are not buying into uh, these Eurocentric approaches to food and medicine. Inherently, they know through their ancestors talking, whispering in their ears, like, nah, we're not about that life, but we've been sold a bag, a bill of goods to say otherwise. So simply attack soul food, which really is a combination of native European and African cuisines combined. It is a representative of a colonized dish. And that is not so to simply say like, oh, soul food, black people food is bad. Like, no, 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 homie. That's not even the original soul food to begin with. So we need to be challenging these narratives that are literally been stuffed down our throats and swallowed to make us believe like this is truly the food in our bellies that have been making us sick. Like, no, it is the descendants of colonization in the form of fast food chains and the liquor stores that are the true threat in the David and Goliath battle around food that we must acknowledge. And if we train Black media better uh, around food issues versus them taking their own lack of knowledge around nutrition and reporting on issues, we will be better off for it. So that's why it's so crucial that increasing food literacy is not enough, but it's food for the culture to make us more literate that will begin changing the imagery and narrative and making people more open and appreciative of their culture that is really built in supporting kings and queens of the beans and greens of the world. And that's the work that we do at Wanda and what we will be instilling and teaching that sense of empowerment in our communities, starting with our women 
who play critical roles in everyday households. Mm -hmm. So let's let's then have a conversation. I'm echoing. Um, let's have a conversation around some of the notes and bolts of nutrition, right? Which is so. Um, echoing again. Um, the herbs, the herbs that we consume, right? Um, they're meant to, some of those herbs are meant to be really healing um, on our everyday body. So when we think of herbs, what are some of those healthy, what are the healthy herbs we're supposed to be consuming on a daily basis? Um, say if, if an individual lacks magnesium, um, we, we talk about fiber, we, um, I, I'm constipated, I can go to the bathroom, um, what, are the, what are some of those considerations, right? Let's, let's go through some of the notes and bolts um, now uh, around the type of herbs to consume, um, the, type, the, 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 the types of meals to consume on a daily basis based on a certain disease type, right? So we talk, we talk about getting rid of um, at least reducing your uh, sugar consumption replacing replacing some of the meals that we will rather consume like drinking alcohol right replacing alcohol for um health waters replacing the caffeine caffeine juice, um, for water so what me what we do like um, Walk me through some of the healthy um, herbs to consider as part of our diet. I know we talk about green. What about herbs? Um, I I am going to I'm going to just briefly comment. I'm not a registered dietitian. I just work with a ton of them. Uh, my background is in gastronomy. Mm -hmm. uh, that's my master's degree. Um, but I will say that um, I, I really focus on, and our recipes and living book really focus on getting a variety of fruits and vegetables. Mm -hmm. um, even though we have meats in our recipes, um, you know, we want people again to eat how they're used to and, and kind of um, just take what they're used to and make it healthier. Um, but we really are plant forward. Um, and so we really emphasize a variety of color on the plate um, because the, that color represents different nutrients in the food. Um, so we really encourage getting, you know, you know, dark leafy greens and, you know, orange vegetables, um, you know, just getting a red vegetables um, and fruits, just getting a wide variety um, and the other thing that I recommend is do getting a whole grain, as we've mentioned, both of us have mentioned before. Um, I personally think Americans are like, uh, have a boring approach to whole grains. <laughs> um, you know, everybody's used to, you know, and, and it's accessible, number one, like, you know, corn, rice, brown rice, um, you know, whole corn products, oats, um, those whole grains are things that um, many Americans are familiar with that, that make it easy to start adopting a whole grain diet. And you do want all the nutrients in whole grains. But I think like after traveling to other countries and seeing um, you know, traditions like uh, farro and wheat berries and bulgur and um, you know, things like that, um, they're much more interesting. They offer more interesting texture um, and it, it's fun to eat. And we tend to process those 
those whole grains in a way that takes all the fun out of it, in my opinion. But I think it's important to just be holistic and getting a bunch of things on the plate. Um, and some of it can be fun too. Like if you think about sauces like salsa, um, there's a whole, there's so many different ranges of Mexican sauces in addition to what we're familiar with salsa. They're pipions, which are uh, like sauces, but they have like uh, ground um, pumpkin seeds in them or other kinds of seeds and nuts. And um, in the traditional Latin diet, that's where you get a lot of nutrients is from the salsas and the other sauces in the cuisine. Um, and there are other sauces around the world that incorporate lots of herbs, um, sometimes healthy nuts, um, healthy oils. Um, fruits and vegetables that might be a part of that sauce that are a delicious, flavorful way to get extra nutrition in your food. Um, as far as like the nuts and bolts of, you know, nutrients and ingredients, um, again, I'll, I'll uh, pass that ball over to Tambra and see, um, you know, if she can address that. Um, I'm not a dietitian, so um, my approach is holistic and not uh, ingredient. So, in terms of herbs, um, obviously, um, affordability sometimes becomes a challenge um, because herbs are not cheap. However, they do add the flavor without the sodium. Um, that's really important, um, whether it's dried herbs or fresh herbs or, again, creating an herb garden on your balcony, your backyard um, is a more affordable way. I believe SNAP can purchase or, you know, seeds at the local harbor store to purchase these uh, plants to grow. Um, so that is definitely one affordable approach to um, address that issue because herbal um, medicine is a field within itself um, down to creating herbal tonics, which I'll be highlighting on the next series for Cooking with Soul with U.S. Botanic Garden. Um, that people can check out at usbg.gov slash cooking um, because this is the season of, of growing um, all sorts, whether it's lavender, chamomile, um, thyme, basil, oregano, but then also uh, the conversation even at um, Oxford Food Symposium this year, um, you know, though it's been on spice in the past, it's been on herbs and this question about what are the different um, herbs of Africa uh, that has, has not been explored, but have definitely um, been used or still being used that people can discover as well. Um, and so butterbur, you know, the spice out of Ethiopia, um, this blend just like Ras al-Hanat in the Moroccan culture. I mean, a lot of these sorts of spices I lean on because, I mean, you literally have a mix of different eight different spices together uh, that have so many different um, health benefits to them. Um, and, you know, one component that we, again, moving away from this biomedical lens of just vitamins and minerals, which not every vitamin and mineral has even been discovered, you have this other part of toxicity that must be acknowledged that part of the use of garlics and onions and cumin and coriander, um, uh, saffron and paprika, you know, it's also about the microbes and bacteria in our food. And so a lot of those items were used at a time when you did not have refrigeration, you can help preserve, make foods last longer, curing meats, as an example. Um, and so there are 
other factors, again, that takes away from nutrition um, if you are not able to buy, if they're not bioavailable um, in terms of the consumption of that food product. So every nutrition, every nutrient in a meal that you eat may not be um, biocompatible to you. Um, and so it's really important to have a diversified diet um, that includes not only the product, but the preparation of that product and the ingredients in which you use to make that final product on your plate that matters. So I have a whole like, just like the five P's of marketing, I have the five P's when it comes to nutrition and diet that people have to take in consideration that we'll be diving into on our Wadden Academy. Because again, being able to create content in a way that makes sense that your mama, auntie, nana can understand is crucial in this process. And that is not what is taken into consideration when um, we think about their approach to education um, that is being addressed. We know it. We've seen it before. People who are experts in any field, yet they have the inability to teach. Teaching is a field and a profession of itself. And so to be able to layer that on top of, you know, in this case, nutrition is really important to appreciate and why we have to support, you know, paying teachers their worth, regardless of what they're teaching, um, because passing the ability to pass on this knowledge um, in the old tradition of the griot, um, the storyteller, is something that we've known culturally for a very long time that we're here to uplift and center. That's amazing. Thank you both for really taking the, the time to share. I think there, there are a lot of notes, notes on both that you guys have shared with us around really being mindful of what to begin with if you're confused and you're trying to switch your healthy diet, take a take a stock of what's in your what's in your kitchen, right? Address that to begin with. Take a stock with your with your um your that your daily habits. Are you are you drinking? Um, are you smoking? Um, your environment is your environment clean. Um, taking the stock of that, right? That because it's only not, it's not only about the food. Food is a great component to developing the healthy habit, but it's also about your lifestyle. Some of your lifestyle decision making, your those habits translate to how well you feel, um, and they also translate to how your how well your family feel as well. Um, so taking taking the stock of not just your kitchen but your lifestyle and addressing both. Hand, hand in hand really will then drive those health outcomes that um, are going to make you healthier, happier, and fulfilled. Um, one last question before I let you guys go is if you had to have one billboard, if you had one billboard and you, that billboard is one which you, you want one thing for people to remember, you guys, what would that be? I think um my bill my billboard would be um health around the dinner table. Maybe. Um because I um what we're trying to do is um, create a culture. 
I think that in the United States, we've disassociated healthy eating with the cultural traditions around eating with your family at the dinner table um, and um, or eating in a celebratory manner um, with health. Um, and uh, I'm trying to bring that back. So for me, for me, the billboard would be all I need is already within, you know, hashtag I'm Wanda. So, um, and for that, that meaning, that meaning is about all I need within my community, within my food ways, within my divine feminine power, um, you know, is very critical um, encountering the current narrative that just for those who, you know, are Christian and, and you know, subscribe to the notion that um, be in this world, not of this world. And so that sense of you need to go outside of yourself to feel whole and complete and valued, um, that flows over into how I see food. Um, and so that's what I would have as a billboard all I need is already within. Amazing. Thank you all. Thank you both for sharing. All I need is we is all, all you all I need is all within and dying around the table. Um, really focusing on community is the takeaway. So I hope um, listeners that we are considering a lifestyle change, consider talking to Wander, um, reaching out to um, living book as a way to guide you into really developing those healthy lifestyles. Thanks again um, for listening in. Um, we hope you, you, you will take this information to um, transform your, your own lifestyle. Our state of well-being decides our rate of productivity. This is why the health of your employees are important to you, like that of an athlete is important to the coach. Even though the access to healthcare is sometimes unaffordable and time-consuming for most people, Marie still cares about her employees' well-being, so she signs everyone up on Inov Cares. Inov Cares is a telehealth and wellness platform that brings affordable healthcare services to people wherever they are. Marie's employees do not need to wait in line to book an appointment with a doctor. All they have to do is grab their phone and get connected to a doctor or any healthcare provider at just a few clicks. They have access to health specialists at the very best price and get the very best lifestyle tips to avoid chronic diseases. Matt, on the other hand, is a soccer coach and has all his players signed up on Inov Cares. Apart from getting the best healthy lifestyle tips, they get connected to the right healthcare provider in case they get an injury and the recovery process is being followed up. Get rewards, join the health tribe, connect health devices, tick your action list and spend more time with a healthcare team with Inov Cares. Download your Inov Cares app on Google Play Store or Apple Store now.